Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I can show you a recycling bin full of crisps. At the Christmas, with all my um, siblings over, we had the Crisp World Cup, and we did blind taste testing of all the kettle chips that are available on the market and it went on for four hours and it got very brutal but we managed to work out what the greatest crisp in the world is and my favorite crisp is and it's a very niche and particular thing and it's almost like the golden ticket in Willy Wonka because you only get it in one in every 20 bags it's a very large crisp that in the frying process has doubled over on itself to become a double layer of crispiness Hello and welcome to another episode of But Why. This week I am joined by author and journalist Catelyn Moran. Aside from those brilliant career accolades, she's also a little bit of a role model to me. You see, Catelyn has released two brilliant books, one being How to Be a Woman, and then 10 years later, More Than a Woman. And I think I'm right in saying that Catelyn is about five or six years ahead of me, and both books have served as a great glimpse into what is coming for me that sounds horrendous but what the next chapter of of womanhood is about and that is exactly what I'm going to talk to her about today about womanhood and how women are always evolving in fact because we're cyclical creatures both monthly but also in terms of our fertility journey we are always becoming different versions of ourselves which can feel pretty full-on to be living but during our conversation I learned it's something brilliant and that something that we ought to embrace and aside from some quite heavy chats, we also talk about some hilarious, relatable and, yeah, frankly brilliant things, including the struggle of going for a wee in a jumpsuit, about turning into a hag and also a shared love of crisps. I think actually Catelyn would describe herself as somewhat of a professional crisp eater, which really is something that I'd like to step up and become more of. So. All in all, it was very inspiring. But without further ado, let's listen to this episode. You've had a wild morning. You've been on Chris Evans, haven't you? Yes, where Billy Piper and Lucy Preble, who've just done I Love Susie, which I'm obsessed with, were there. I haven't watched that, but it's by the writers of... Succession, yeah. Which is, is extraordinary, so... Oh, it's super positive. It's the best. I think it's even better than I May Destroy <gasps> You or Fleabag. It's honestly <gasps> a work of art. It's incredible. That's some massive claims you've just put out there, but I, I need to I remember to watch it. it. It's so good. It's so good. Well, guys, enjoy it. 
Yeah, I think everybody when I'm in there, because it sets up a very clever trap and a box. So you think it's about a very niche experience of a very famous person having a kind of a nervous breakdown. And it very slowly unfolds to be the story of everyone. And it's it's just done really, really cleverly. It's the greatest examination I've seen about being a woman in the 21st century so far. And it's up against some tough opposition. Well, I mean, you're not here to promote that show, but you've just nailed it. So. Well, the main thing that everybody needs to know is there's a gifable, memeable bit on episode five where Billy Piper is resigning from a job where everybody has just been really horrible to her. And she sings the words, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, as she leaves a room. Oh. And it's that is all of us. We will all need to use that gif or that meme every day for the rest of our lives. You know what? Uh, another friend who does social media for a job, she always says to me, Clemmy, do you, do you picture what your last post would be? Not as in a suicide kind of way, as in when you were exiting and, and switching off. I was like, I never have, but maybe that meme is uh, maybe that meme is the one. It's everyone's best ever exit. It's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I've never done an excellent exit from anything I don't think have you no I'm I'm, I'm I'm problematic around doors I always misjudge how, <laughs> how how wide I am and where they are so I've, I've had quite a few facial injuries in my time <laughs> but I think that the key to leading a successful adult life is when you have fallen possibly bleeding from the nose you have to turn around to the room that you've half left and go I meant to do that this is so funny one of my friends messaged yesterday so she was wearing a jumpsuit and she was feeling great and then she pissed on the arm of it Oh, and it's just like, we've all been there. You always have these images of what adulthood will be like. And it's not yeah. having to try and wash your pissy jumpsuit sleeve, is it? But, I mean, they have spent more time down the toilet than they have on women's arms. I'm sure <laughs> if, you did, you know, if jumpsuits could talk, the stories they would tell. <laughs> and the worst thing is that pissing happens when you're you're pretty much naked as well in a cubicle because of the nature of jumpsuits. So it's it's quite an intense experience. Isn't I it? have so often had to caution young women who are packing to go to their first festivals who are like, oh, I'll wear a jumpsuit. It's all in one. That's a practical thing. It's like, no, because it'll be three o'clock in the morning. It'll be freezing and you'll be sitting naked on a kind of drop toilet with the sleeves of your jumpsuit down that drop toilet, <laughs> getting hypothermia. It's like it's an all-round bad experience. Don't wear yeah. a jumpsuit to a festival, rule 101. The best thing to wear to a festival is a long skirt and no knickers because if there's a queue for the toilets, you can simply sit on the grass, spread your skirts around you like Deborah Kerr in The King and I, and just do a little wee on the grass while you're talking to someone. It's my festival wee tip for everyone there. So again, I had a conversation with a friend who only recently pissed outside for the first time. And I was like, I mean, I wee outside so regularly, wild wees, I couldn't even count them. Well, there's, I mean, especially during lockdown where yeah. all the toilets were shut, like kind of you did, I've got one of those sheepies, which is kind of like a, a rubber lady penis that you can use to like waz against a tree like a man. And the first time I used it was at a festival and it was quite alarming because as women, we've never seen our undiluted urine. Like it goes into the toilet and that's when you look down and go whether you're dehydrated or not, or whether you're on your period. When you're peeing out of a sheepie, you see your undiluted urine for the first time. And I was at a festival, I'd been drinking cider all day and it was bright orange and the <gasps> consistency of jam. And I was was like, whoa, that's too much information about my bladder. That is quite terrifying. <laughs> wow, I've never even thought about this because it always go we only ever see it when it's already got into the toilet into the wow. When it's, a when it's a delicious cocktail in the toilet, right? But this is like this is the neat stuff. This is like shots of waz. And if <laughs> if you spent all day at a festival on a hot day drinking cider, it's gonna look alarming. It looks like Kiora. Be careful. <laughs> and also why you wouldn't want it on your your jumpsuit. The jumpsuit. No, no, no. Keep the jumpsuits waz free. I like to do a quick fire round to kind of gear up to being more honest. I feel I feel like we short circuited that, but I'm going to do it anyway because <laughs> that's what I've. <laughs> no, 
Well, I, I'm very shy, so you will have to really slowly coax me out of my shell. Please be gentle with me. The problem is, and I talk about it quite often, once you kind of unleash the honesty setting, you basically can't put the lid back on it, can you? It's- no. It's Pandora's box, isn't it? It's just like, blah, blah, blah. And another thing, and another thing. And particularly if it's women talking together and like you are allowed to talk about women in a woman's safe environment, you're like, right, okay. Here we let's go. Get the list out. <laughs> where do we stop? <laughs> it's quite thrilling to see where it goes. I listened to uh, Miriam Margulies on Louis Theroux's podcast and did some actual gasping at some of the things she said. And I was like, good on her. I hope that in my, I don't know what she is, 70s, I've become even more that way. Anyway, the quick fire round your favorite good. color. Blue. Any more specific or just generic? The blue that makes my eyes pop because I've got blue eyes. I once had a very brutal Christmas. Two boys started having an argument about which colour jumper would make their eyes pop because they've got the same blue eyes as me. And there were two young men in their 20s virtually fist fighting as one went, no, a royal blue would be the best one. And the other one going, no, because that's the exact colour of your eyes. You need to set it off with a darker navy. And I thought, wow, men have really changed. (laughs) This is progress right here. (laughs) So yeah, whatever that good blue is, you're into it. Yes. Favourite smell? Oh, it is honeysuckle. It's it's, oh. it's such a fleeting thing. Mm. Like kind of, it's very hard to find. And because honeysuckles prefer a shady woodland environment, you often have to crash through some brambles to get to it. So the pleasure pain ratio is, is wildly out of whack. So you appreciate it all the more when you finally get to it. So yes, honeysuckle. <laughs> That's such a brilliantly, and this is not Christmas, but a brilliantly middle-aged answer. These are the things that, that bring you joy <laughs> as you get older. <laughs> right. Well, I will now, like, I mean, I'd, I'd always cross the road to smell a particularly lovely rose bush in someone's garden like that. I've been doing that since my 20s, but it's now got to the point where when I'm across the road and I see a rose bush on the other side of the road, I will say out loud, hello, you beautiful thing. Do you mind? <laughs> I'm coming to smell you. In what I realise now is a slightly threatening way and I will just be talking to beautiful plants that I see as I walk around. That's a definite middle-aged trait. <laughs> you see, I asked Instagram about this. I asked my audience whether they thought it was appropriate to sniff other people's roses and quite a few people thought that you shouldn't do it. But I think it's a compliment to stop and, and smell someone's roses in their front garden. What principle that your nose is stealing the smell? Yeah. It's just there. And it's a moment of admiration, isn't it? I'm thinking you've you've grown some nice roses there. Yeah. No, if you're going around and sniffing someone else's husband or children, that's a bit dodgy, but I think someone's roses is, that's allowable, surely. People are funny. We've got some more of that kind of insight in a minute. What star sign are you? I'm an Aries, which is supposed to mean that you're belligerent and fighty and like the god of war. And I, I would say I'm the absolute opposite of that. I would, the only way I would ever start a war is after a series of terrible mistakes and accidents. Like I would not fall into I, it. Yeah, it's not my, I'm not a, I'm not a warrior. I'm a lover, not a fighter, definitely. An Aryan trait though is not being very good at finishing tasks. Is that Oh any- no, I'm, I'm ruthlessly efficient at everything. I would, I, I am the queen of the to-do list. I'm a oh. finisher. I'm a starter. I'm a multitasker. I, last week, I worked out that I can do four, at least four separate things while I'm having a wee. I can, I can squirt the taps on the nearby basin with some, some limescale removing stuff, polish them down, wipe the sides down. I've got a little dustpan brush next to the toilet so I can sweep that up. I can be replying to a text and shouting down the stairs to my kids, your shoes are in the coat cupboard. That's where I left them. So yeah, if you're not doing at least five things while you're having a waz, you are wasting time. And we wonder why we end up burnt out and exhausted, but it's so true. There's always an opportunity to do 20 things 
at once. Tiring. Right. That's the only way you're going to do it because you need to be doing 40 things at once by the time you're middle age. So unless you do, you know, 20s barely keeping your head above water. It's very tiring, isn't it? You've done the put your shoes on years, haven't you? They yeah, are behind I've, you. They both have a very good sense of humour and know to leave a very good tip in a restaurant. And I think those are the two most important things in a decent human being. Always tip the waiting, be polite to waiting staff, tip the waiting staff heavily and always be funny. And then if you yeah. do those... You're, you're set really my kids are for reference seven five and two and you know they're definitely showing their their sense of humor but it must be really amazing once your kids actually begin to be able to hold full-on conversations and be funny seven five and two bloody hell are you just are you lying on the floor now with your eyes closed are you kind of half asleep while you do this just you know multitasking? I, I definitely feel a bit like that but I, actually my husband is the primary child care provider and I work yeah so I mean that's a whole loaded thing my two-year-old daughter is like oh mummy you weren't there you were working she always bloody reminded me that I wasn't there it's still a massive juggle isn't it <laughs> You've always got, when they when they accuse you of stuff like that, that you were working, you go, yes, yes, I was, with yeah. a really big smile on your face. Because yes, yes, you were. Bitch, got to pay rent. Mummy yeah. went out there and paid the rent. That's what happened. I did the same with my, my husband was primary childcare provider. I realized I dick moved in really early by not learning to drive. So he had to do all the school runs and he has to do all the shopping. So that's me off the hook. Yes. It's really interesting though, and I guess it's going to feed into everything that we talk about, but... I get told so often how great Ben is and he is great. He's doing a really great job, but it's it's really grating because there are loads of women doing exactly that and people are really quick to be in absolute awe of a guy doing primary childcare. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like they get congratulated every day. It's kind of like they're doing it for Celebrity The Apprentice. It's like, <laughs> no, no, they, they co-created this child. Yeah. <laughs> I have a greater earning potential and we have split the tasks accordingly. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's really fascinating. What do you wish you had learned sooner? Arrgh. Other than that, there is more than one calorie in a potato. I didn't, nutritional information was very nugatory in the 80s. So <laughs> I just presumed that the more boring and commoner food stuff was, the less calories it must <laughs> have. So I would be able to eat like half a loaf of bread and think, well, that'd probably be about 20 calories tops. <laughs> that took a long time to work out where that was going wrong. And the other one on a more serious note, learning to not be scared of other people's sadness. Generally, I'm great with all emotions, but when people were sad, I would just try and jolly them out of it or mm. tell jokes or kind of run away from the sadness. I feared it like a contagion and mm. that makes you very non-useful, particularly when you've got teenage kids who are dealing with stuff. So that's been the hardest and most recent lesson that I've learned, but it's unlocked this huge thing because now I'm not scared of people who are sad. I can sit with them and talk to them. And mm. that, that's an actually genuinely really valuable thing to be able to do. So yeah, to try and not make it okay, because that is our yes. instinct, isn't it? Exactly. And in parenting, the big shift when your kids get teenage, which you'll realize is that most of what you're doing isn't parenting anymore. Like kind of, it's a combination of like psychiatry, chauffeuring, styling. They always seem to need a tenor to go to Kensal Green. I don't know why, <laughs> but it is just, and it's mainly realizing that previously your job was to solve their problems. Like they've made a paper mache pig that's still wet and they need to take it to school tomorrow. You're like, right, I'll put it in a low temperature on the oven and your pig will be crispy tomorrow. When you get to the teenage years, giving them a solution will make them angry. That's when they, mm. that's why they stomp out the room and slam the door. And they'll say things like, you think I'm stupid. And because if you're the problem solver in the house, they can't grow up to be a problem solver. That role is already filled. So it's very hard as a can-do lady. And if, and just if you've been a mum and you've just been the problem solver for yeah. 10 years to suddenly, as soon as puberty kicks in, slam the brakes on that and go, no, okay, I'm the person who helps other people solve their problems, but I am not the problem solver anymore. Wow. That is a, that is, 
a massive shift and does the shift happen quite quickly or do you feel like you gradually move into that it's usually it's like you remember that kevin and perry sketch where they'd been kids harry enfield and kathy burke and they'd been kids and then like overnight yeah. kevin and perry have their puberty and like suddenly they're covered in spots and they're really sulky and slamming doors and going mom it is about as sudden as that like you can see the chemical really? shift overnight yeah, so brace yourself for that. You got you got so much more fun to have. <laughs> I mean, no one had children to have them at home all the time, so it's really hard to even comprehend that chapter. <laughs> well, it was weird for me because because I was home educated by my parents. We didn't go to school, and there were eight of us. So when the lockdown happened, so many people were understandably finding it really difficult to cope with. But it was just an exact replica of my childhood. Like we were just all in a house and not going anywhere. And uh, so I, I found it very, very easy and comforting. And I was able to give loads of advice to everybody who was having to homeschool. And the key bit being, don't bother homeschooling them. Yeah. Like kind of when, when you're when you're homeschooled, they talk about this process called de-schooling, where if kids are at school and they're made to learn things, gradually their natural curiosity is crushed because they're mm-hmm. just being made to do stuff, which often seems really pointless to them or things that they hate every day. You take kids out of school for a couple of months, they'll muck about. And then suddenly one day they'll wake up and their curiosity will have been reborn. The young of any species wants to learn stuff. They want to be obsessed by things and stay up all night learning about stuff if you let them. That'd be my primary bit of advice. Just let kids get on with what they want to do. Mm. And at that point, you've taught them a bigger life lesson, which is to be self-motivated, to go, what what am I interested in? How will I find out about it? What would I like to do about my interest? These are all such key skills that if you've got them nailed when you're a kid, you are set up for life. Mm. It's so interesting, actually. We are so quick to fill in every single gap of boredom in ourselves and in our kids now that they don't often have that bit where you go, right, you're a bit bored fill this hour with something and and I've watched it in my own kids definitely they're playing in a way that I've not really seen them play before well the key thing when they're saying they're bored is to go oh right oh that's brilliant because there's some walls that need washing and you hand them a bucket of warm soapy water and a cloth and tell them to clean the walls and it's astonishing (laughs) how often they go actually I have got something I want to do that was my mum's primary and I would say sole parenting tip that was the one thing that I learned from my mother that I passed on just like oh some walls that need washing bang they're gone <laughs> there you go these are these are the nuggets you know it isn't the things that you think are going to get you through it's it's bits like that so I have you on here to talk about womanhood yes actually before we do do that I have actually got to pick up on your Instagram byline which is you think you meet eat more crisps than me which yes. is that is a, a a big claim I'd like to know how you substantiate it and what is your crisp of choice my I substantiate it surely based on evidence I can, <laughs> I, can I can show you a recycling bin full of crisps well, at the Christmas with all my um, siblings over we had the crisp world cup and we did blind taste testing of all the kettle chips that are available on the market and it went on for four hours and it got very brutal but we managed to work out what the greatest crisp in the world is and my favorite crisp is and it's a very niche and particular thing and it's almost like the golden ticket in Willy Wonka because you only get it in one in every 20 bags it's a very large crisp that in the frying process has doubled over on itself to become a double layer of crispiness and you've got that double crunch so one that's just folded right back on itself almost like an Ouroboros of carbohydrate and fat <laughs> and uh, that's what I'm seeking and when I get that I will I have photographed every single one <laughs> of the golden crisps that I have had before I eat it and that's 90% of what I want to do on any given day is find one of those crisps <laughs> I mean what a great way to spend your time you know <laughs> 
<laughs> these are my treats. I can't drink anymore. I can't do drugs anymore. So no. it's, it's crisps for me. That's all I've got. <laughs> yeah. And you do know where you are with crisps. They rarely let you down. Oh yeah. And a crisp sandwich, I think is the finest of all sandwiches and nine times out of 10. If I'm thinking what I want for tea, it's a crisp sandwich. I'll make myself eat the vegetables first because you must have your veg and then straight to the crisp sandwich. And it's important in the crisp sandwich that the butter is so thick that when you bite into it, you leave teeth marks that look almost like the White Cliffs of Dover. And you (laughs) slice through a layer of butter almost a centimetre thick. That's That's the key. I can taste it now. Chris, <laughs> pissing on jumpsuits, wiping the walls. I mean, what else is there to say? What there is to say is nine years ago. That's being a woman. Yeah, exactly. You wrote How to Be a Woman. What was your ambition with it? At, at that point, I just the word feminism wasn't being used that much. There was a survey that was done a couple of years later that said 47% of people would use the word feminist as a pejorative, like kind of like mm. in, in order to slag someone off. And I, in my more humorous moments, blame this on the Spice Girls because in we were talking about feminism right up until the middle of the early 90s and then the Spice Girls came along and then it was girl power instead. And that was good because it had little kids walking around the playground, little girls going, girl power, which yeah. was great. But girl power didn't really mean anything apart from being a Spice Girls fan and buying Spice Girls records and being friends with your friends. Whereas feminism is this entire crowdsourced, brilliant global philosophy that has changed women's lives in an absolutely incalculable way in every aspect of our lives. It has given us freedom. It has given us joy. It has given us safety. And it didn't seem that anybody was sort of like talking about that in a way that was fun and accessible you know, feminism is a gift. And I just wanted to explain to the world, like, this is amazing. You really do want to say you're a feminist because if you went to school and you've got a job and you're not owned by a man, either your husband or your father, and you you can't be sent to a mental asylum on the say-so of your husband and you can get a job and you get to receive your paycheck yourself and you can vote and you can run for government, then you have led a feminist life. You are Mm. a feminist just Mm. by default of what you've done. And you're only able to lead that life because other women who did call themselves feminists came along before you and changed the world so you could have that life. And so it was just this, and I would have this rant over and over again in bars to young women who were like, I'm not a feminist. I just believe all people are equal. And you're like, I need to explain to you specifically what feminism is. I kind of like, this is, this is what it is. You are a feminist. I have to tell you, congratulations. You are a feminist. Now let me explain it in this book. So that was the plan then. How old are you now, if you don't mind me asking? 45. 45. So I'm 38. But, you know, that book, what were the kind of key topics? There was pornography. Masturbation, masturbation. Like when I first wrote about masturbation in How to Be a Woman, they invited me on Newsnight to talk about it because it was just seen as so weird and revolutionary. And Jeremy Paxman had to <laughs> me. He looked like such an unhappy, startled, posh horse. Like kind of there was a point where, for reasons I can't understand, we ended up talking about whether there would be such a thing as clown pornography featuring <laughs> clowns. And as Jeremy Paxman said, the words clown porn, <laughs> he looked like the most unhappy man in the world. <laughs> so things have changed and, and people are using the word feminist now. Dior have sent models down the catwalk, kind of Beyonce makes songs about it. Like you can get I'm a feminist t-shirts everywhere. So, you know, the, there's been an explosion of people feeling that they own it and want to contribute to it in mm. the last 10 years. And I love that. I always ask Instagram about a given topic and I ask them about female masturbation. And I ask them if they masturbate. My audience is 97% female, so it's, it's basically all women. And only 79% said yes. Really? And I was just like, what are the rest of you up to? See that? I mean, there's so many. I mean, first of all, nature intended for us to do that. When you're lying down, your hand naturally is the right length to rest on your genitals. So like God is giving you a big old pointer there. Like, you know, have 
have a have a fiddle. And also, if you don't, and you saw it as a recurring trope in films and movies and books all the time that like that when you're a teenage girl, your sexuality is like turned off and you don't have it until you meet a man who discovers your sexuality mm. and shows you what sex is and awakens you. And that's how you learn about sex from an old, more experienced man. That's a very recurrent trope in all of art. And that's really dangerous for young women because you should know what you want before you have sex with someone else. You've got to know what kind of sex you want and yeah. what who you are as a sexual being and what works for you. Because otherwise, how will you ever know? Like, kind of, you can't have your sexuality created by a series of people that you sleep with who go, this is sex. No, this is sex. No, this is sex. Because you get to your middle age and you're like, you've got a patchwork of other people's preferences in your head and you've never worked out what you want. And there is nothing quite like the honesty of being able to lie down and touch yourself and work out what you want. And I don't know if you've seen I Love Susie, but there's a whole episode where Billy Piper's character is trying to work out what she's going to think about when she's masturbating. <laughs> and it's an absolute work of genius because it turns into this brilliant feminist art. It's the whole episode as she's trying to work out what she's going do and so it allows you to go into a history like kind of why does she have the sexual fantasies that she mm. does based on previous relationships then there's an imaginary feminist conversation with her best friend going some of the things that you're into are problematic like kind of like you know <laughs> should you be thinking about these things and then it's her trying to work out who she will be thinking of at the moment of orgasm because she's got these two or three guys in her life and she's trying to work out who she likes the best there's a truth in who you're thinking about when you come so it's a, a whole episode just about that actually turns into this complete exploration Fascinating. of female sexuality it's amazing I am surprised I do think amongst my girlfriend I, it's only really within the last year or two that we would talk about masturbation really really openly yeah well I think it leaves you really vulnerable if you can't satisfy yourself sexually because then you're sitting and waiting for someone to come along and then suddenly you're in a buyer's market you know what I mean like kind mm. of if you're sitting going, I really, I just want to get my rocks off and you can't do it yourself. Then you've got to go out there and find someone and hope they're going to do it well for you. And it's going to be a good situation. Whereas you could just stay at home, knock Free it off fun. in 10 minutes and yeah, and be watching Garden as well by nine o'clock. Like that's a much better, cheaper, more accessible way. <laughs> Eating a packet of crisps and hoping for a folded over one. I mean, exactly living your right. best life. <laughs> These are the things that really brings joy. But I also asked them if they consider female masturbation taboo and 45% did. See, I mean, I guess 100 years ago, it would have been 100%. Yeah. Like kind of, no one would have believed that it existed. Like if you look in Victorian times, there were all these contraptions to stop boys from masturbating. Really terrifying things that would be strapped to boys' genitals and like on their heads. But there was nothing invented for girls because it just no one believed that girls would even do that. So the fact that we didn't think it existed 100 years ago mm -hmm. and now sort of like 65% of people don't think it's shameful to talk about it. That's progress. I'll take that. Yeah, and it's it's also a good reminder that everybody is at a different place in this, you know. It's like I get very much in my bubble just because me and my girlfriends are talking about it. In fact, we brought it up in front of a bunch of our male friends and they were absolutely horrified that when girls work from home, they sometimes wank. I was like, will you do it? I call it the freelancer's lie down. Just kind of like, <laughs> just about 2.30, just kind of like put the out of office on, quit lie down, yeah, a little rest, then back back and refreshed one of the best things that happened off the back of writing how to be a woman i was on a train a year after it came out and a bunch of girls was about 10 14 year old girls came running over to me and went are you Catelyn moran did you write how to be a woman we read about masturbation and it sounded brilliant so we've all started doing it and we've formed a club at school called rank club and we come in every morning and tell each other how many times we did it can we high five you and I was like, yay, Wank Club, I love you. And then I looked down and I had my two daughters with me who were like 10 and 8 at the time. Uh, and they, were doing, they were doing this horrified face. And I was like, it's lovely to meet you girls, but I must now take my children away and explain to them what masturbation is. <laughs> 
one day they'll thank you, I think. Yeah. Or maybe they won't. You'll always be their mother, so it's an awkward dynamic, isn't it? I know. This is this is the ultimate irony. Like, so they will not read anything that I write. Understandably, who wants to read about their mum wanking? And mm-hmm. so the fifth book I wrote, the dedication on the front, it goes to my two daughters. If you read this dedication, come to me and I will give you my credit card and the PIN number and you can buy whatever you want. And they still have not claimed that because they still have not read any of my books. So it was the old so funny. They will not open one of those. They're like, I don't want to know. And now for a quick advert for my book, But Why? How to Answer Tricky Questions from Kids by Having Honest Conversations with Yourself. And actually something that has come up in this episode is very fitting for what I learned during the book writing process. And that is, as Catelyn says, much of teaching our kids how to become adults is not about the moments when we feel like we're teaching them, but it's about them being able to watch what we do, how we interact with people, how we behave in stressful situations, the company we keep, all that role model actually is far more impactful than than the education moments. And that's something I definitely learned through the book. But you can learn more about that by uh, actually buying the book itself, which is available to pre-order now via the link in my show notes or from all good bookshops. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So now you've written More Than a Woman, which I've read. I've actually just started reading it for the second time. It's absolutely brilliant. And again, it's re- it's a real joy for me because you're in that, that bit ahead so I can kind of have a look what's coming. What do you think you've learned about yourself in the last nine years and how do you think the landscape has changed? Well, I think the key thing is that like I thought, so the, the book starts with me now at the age of 45 going back in time to visit my 35-year-old self the day I finished to be a woman. And the day I finished How to Be a Woman, I thought that I knew everything. I was like, I've written this book about being a woman. I reckon I've covered pretty much everything. Like, and all the messy stuff is over. I finally worked out who I am. I've invented myself. I've got my kids, I've got my husband. Like, I know who I am. My proper life's going to begin. Yeah. And it's going to be elegant and amazing. I'm going to just be having long lunches with gal pals. I'll buy a pair of elegant linen trousers. I'll go on moon breaks. <laughs> I'll look around cathedrals. I'll take up oil painting and learn Welsh. It's going to be amazing. And that is not what happens in your middle age because if you're even a vaguely sorted stable middle-aged woman suddenly your problems become everybody else's problems it's like the people around you need mm. you when you become middle-aged so your parents will be getting older and frailer they might be dying your kids enter adolescence and that is a, a whole course in itself your friends are divorcing or are in destructive relationships and you're you are suddenly this fifth emergency service and that is you kind of mm. disappear for about 10 years you are just this and you know and it's been interesting sort of like you know i'd written it before lockdown but the carers, unpaid care, key workers, the people who actually keep society going. And we found out that the majority of that work was done by women and it's unpaid. And it suddenly put a focus on, you know, when Margaret Thatcher said there's no such thing as society, there is, and it's women, and it's mm. women doing unpaid work. They are the ones checking up on neighbours. They are the one looking mm. after the elderly. They are the ones looking after the kids. They are the ones counselling people with mental illness or who are physically ill. That's what mm. we do. And the, the UN put a value on it recently. They reckon across the world the unpaid labor that women do is $3 trillion a year. And that is equal to the 
GDP of either China, the EU or America. So mm. women are a continent of unpaid care that keeps the world together. And I really think we need to examine that. Like, why is it that we do not get recognized or paid for that? That is absolutely crucial. This is what puts us at a constant economic disadvantage. We are the ones that give care and love. And we don't even talk about care and love. And we certainly don't reward it. You know, it's why I write books is like kind of, you know, for this, I kept meeting middle-aged women at the events that I do and they would come to me and they'd be so apologetic about who they were. They'd be like, oh, I'm just so old. I'm really boring. I'm taking up your time. I'm too fat. I'm too tall. I'm sorry. I'm boring you. And I'd be like, oh my God, like stand up, take up your space. You are Mm. the ones that are keeping the world together. But Mm. we don't have movies about middle-aged. We don't have movies about keeping a marriage going. We don't have TV shows about caring for children. We don't, we don't, we don't have songs about being a person with a bad back and graying hair who's come up with this positive household roster. Like, so like, I was like, I'm going to write the book that throws open the doors of every house in this country and goes, what are the women doing in here all day? Mm. Like the the structure of the book, it's 24 hours in the day of a life of a middle-aged woman. So what are we doing every day? And how does that interact with the world? Mm. And the conclusion that I come up with is that we we need to, I think, form a women's union that recognizes that the majority of work that women does is unpaid and in the home, treats that as a workplace and campaigns for us to be equally represented and borne in mind whenever we're coming up with any social policy, because the presumption is always at the moment that women will do it for free. You don't need to build more care homes. You don't need to look at childcare being the most expensive in Europe as it is in the UK, because women will just take care of it, because that's what we do. And at some point we have to go, no, that is a totally informal made up system. And we could change that. And we, you know, and until we demand that it be changed, it won't change. Like we've come so far, but we've got so far to go haven't we yeah well the, well the good thing is we're all talking to each other this is you know social media is kind of a, a yeah. sword but like we can all talk to each other and share our experiences and if there's enough women talking about this stuff and then organizing then we you know that that's that's how everything changes every advancement that we've had as a species and as a gender has been by women first of all you consciousness raise you talk about your problems then you name it and mm. then you say this is how it would need to change and that's the process that every single advancement that we've had in yeah. equal rights has happened so that's that's what we need to do we've got to organize and if there's one thing middle-aged women are good at it's organizing, organizing. <laughs> provided they've got the right snacks yes <laughs> i asked instagram what they had learned about themselves in the last decade and i, I always end up bloody crying about things like this because i just oh. think it's, women are amazing to let shit go that it's okay to enjoy your own company to wear what the fuck you want that i don't like everyone and not everyone likes me and that's okay that you can say no without explanation, that hormones are to blame for a lot and that I am not who I thought I was. I thought they were Yes. I thought no. they were brilliant answers. That's beautiful. RuPaul's got a great saying on this. He goes, what other people think of you is none of your business. That's a really key thing to have in your mind uh, at all times. And also, you know, uh, my motto is, you know, as you get older, you lose skin elasticity but you also lose the amount of fucks you give. You kind of, you know, as you get older, you're like, it actually didn't matter what people thought of me. I just carried on. Do you think, oh, it's hard to project because we're not men, funnily enough, whether they have to go through that process or... Well, it's interesting. Women are forced to constantly think about who they are and improve themselves and change themselves because we change every month. So we're used to dealing with change, hormones that come in and out, pregnancy, all these kind of things. Men just stay in the same kind of physical state all their lives. They don't have these prompts Mm. that even though they are difficult for us often and painful, they are ultimately useful. And the thing that I can say now at the age of 45, amongst my older male friends, even though the women 
that they are married to have had difficult middle age and they've been so busy and stuff, as they come out the other end of it and like the children leave home and the parents die and you've got more time on your hands, they've got a very close network of friends. Mm. They've got their hobbies and interests and dreams and they are ready to turn into someone else new again and, mm. and flourish in their older age. The men just seem quite lost. They don't have those mm. networks of friends. Like they sort of, they don't, it they doesn't occur to them to turn into something else. They just consider, they just think, oh, I'll just carry on as I am. And as a consequence, their lives seem to sort of diminish. They sort of seem to get stuck, whereas the women are out and joining clubs and getting new hobbies and hiking up mountains. And the men are just sitting there going, what? My wife's changed and I'm still the same. What's going on? That's really fascinating. And that does happen over and over, doesn't it? I, yeah, that, that, line which is I'm not who I thought I was is what's fascinating and it must be fascinating for you to have these books as records but you just yeah you never get to the static version of yourself like we wake up you're like oh yeah I've I've moved I'm a new person again and I think that's exciting I think yeah well it's I think for ages I thought that I would only ever change or life would be good when life felt like it had stopped like there was a place I was trying to get Mm. to and that's when my life would start and it's realizing it never stops you never get to that point you create yourself and live your entire life on the run and once you get that into your head that you'll you'll always be busy and always doing a million things and you never get there there's never a moment where you get to sort things out so you're either going to sort stuff out on the run or it won't get sorted out but if you're delaying something thinking that some later point is going to be easier that point will never come it will never come do it now do it now do it now do you ever listen to fortunately with fee and jane no i haven't what's it like oh it's brilliant they're brilliant and they talk about well first of all they did a great segment where they said that they enjoyed the time when they were the same age as the european shoe size i was like <laughs> <laughs> and they said it gave them a little thrill for a year which literally made me cry with laughter but also they talk a lot about becoming the age that you felt like you always were yes I always wanted to be an adult I didn't really enjoy being a child because I just wanted to be in control of stuff and do things and like create the environment I wanted and do my things and I've always I you know for me like my 60s are the bit that I've always looked forward to the most I do this thing where I'm in constant conversation with my future self I'm always (gasps) going I'm always going 60 year old me where are you and what's it like and she's been telling me that we live in Wales on a farm that we've rewilded and that I'm walking (laughs) I'm walking up a hill in the rain with a sheep sort of like carried across my back that I'm trying to rescue because it's fallen down a hole. And I'm, I'm very, I, I like future me and uh, I'm, I'm, I'll be very happy to live her life when I get there. <laughs> that is fascinating because I spend quite a lot of time talking to my 12-year-old self at the um, moment. What's she saying? What's going she's on? Just- you just strip it back, don't you? And go like who not, this is kind of the opposite of what I've just said about constantly changing, but in some ways that pure version of yourself is quite interesting as well. Maybe that's also because I've got kids. So it's, I'm thinking a lot about how I raised they're at that point where I'm raising them into the next generation. Have you noticed this thing that like before you had kids, you presumed they'd either be a little version of you or a little version of your husband. And then they come out and you're like, wow, you are someone completely different. Like you are not, I don't know you. I don't know you at all. And like, like, that's, you're trying to work out who they are. It's so bizarre to watch it. It's humbling. It really is. And you, I always thought that when they did great things that I would kind of pat myself on the back as a parent, but it's absolutely nothing to do with me. It's like it constantly feel like it's all them. Well, except it is the one of the hugest things that I've learned about parenthood, and I've only very recently learned this is my children are now basically adults, and it's blown my mind, and I'm telling all my friends that I've got younger kids. When you think you're parenting, 
that's not the parenting. So when you think mm-hmm. you're giving a life lesson or disciplining them or teaching them a skill, that you're, you're sitting down and going, today's the day I teach you this. Today's the day I tell you not to do that. That's not the parenting. The parenting is they're just watching you and how you deal with life. And that is 90% of it. And you don't realize it at the time, like kind of, but they're watching how, yeah. you, talk, how you talk to people on the phone, whether you help someone with a buggy up some steps, like yeah. how you ring up customer services and deal with the problem, whether you're shouty and rude or whether you're like, hey, love, can you help me out? And that's the parenting. They're just watching how mm-hmm. you deal with real life. And of course, when you think about it, of course they are, because they're, they're watching it in operation. We can all do a brilliantly considered rant about what you should ideally do in a situation to a child. But then when they watch and see what you actually do in that situation, that's the lesson they're learning. And in a way that takes the pressure off. So long as you're taking care of your shit, they will learn how to take care of their shit. <laughs> It's so true. And there's a Carl Jung, Jung quote, which is the, the greatest burden for a child is a mother's life unlived. Yes. Which is like a massive, massive unlocking for me. Like you've got to go and do it and show them what it is to do it, I think. Hugely. You notice that time and time again with, with lots of the high achievers that I know. It turns out that either a mother or sometimes a father wanted to have the life that they're leading now. And it only, it's only in middle age they realise that they were living out their parents' unfulfilled dreams. And that's when the midlife crisis happens. You're like, oh, my God, I'm just doing what my dad always wanted to do. Like, what do I want to do? Yeah. And you see, that these are all the things you've got to tune out and then tune tune into yourself. I mean, this sounds like all the bloody self-help cliches, but it is true. I think the older you get, the tuning into what you're, you want in life is a massive gift isn't it and I think for women it's really hard because like it takes a while to realize you have a voice in your head that is talking to you all the time and for most women that voice is very negative it's going you know why don't you go to the gym you know why aren't you doing this properly why aren't you doing better in your career like why aren't you having better sex like why aren't you more interesting and you are talking to yourself in a way that you would never talk to a friend or a dog like you would not talk to your pets like that and it's when you realize that you are talking to yourself and that that voice that negative voice in your head is made up of things that your parents have said things that bad boyfriends have said things that teachers have said the media exactly the wider world and how we treat women and the day that you realize that that voice is in your head and it can say anything you want Mm. and that you have the option for it to start being supportive and loving and a friend (laughs) and it's quite a big deal it took me a while to do it and I had to start off first of all imagining that Lorraine Kelly was in my head oh my god Lorraine Kelly would be so nice to you, right? Like, I don't know if you were really tired at the end of a day. And so Lorraine wouldn't go, come on, you lazy bitch, go know the dishwasher. She'd be like, oh, hen, you've had a busy day. You deserve to sit on the sofa and have some soup. Well done, you. I'm so proud of you. So pop, pop Lorraine Kelly in your head for a while and see if it makes a difference. <laughs> does, does Lorraine know that you're in a, she's in your head? I'm doing her show tomorrow and I'm going to tell gonna her. tell her? Yeah, I'm doing it on Zoom. So at some point it'll either go really well and she'll be pleased or she'll suddenly look really scared and put a restraining order on me. So we'll we'll see how it goes tomorrow. <laughs> but poor Lorraine Kelly has probably got a horrible Lorraine in her head. Or maybe she hasn't. Maybe Lorraine is nice to Lorraine. This is what I want to find out. I'm like, Lorraine, what's the voice like? We're going to get very deep on Lorraine tomorrow, like kind of 8.30 breakfast time. We're going to go deep on Lorraine's id and shadow self. So yeah, oh let's do Oh my God, this. it's so funny. She or she just think you're absolutely mad. I'm, I'm really intrigued to know how that goes it feels like a good point to mention the hags becoming a hag I have to say my whatsapp group with my best mates is now called the hag
bag because yes. nothing nothing has spoken to me more. For those who haven't, who are yet to read your book, can you explain what I'm talking about? Well, we don't. I mean, this feminism has been amazing in the last ten years for telling stories about young women, messy, hot messes. You know, we've had Killing Eve and Fleabag and I May Destroy You and kind of Amy Schumer. We've got these and girls. You know, we know about hot young messes, and then suddenly the stories stop. Like there's nothing about being middle-aged and there's certainly nothing about getting older. It's like, well, what do you do? You're just supposed to become this kind of boring drudge that's in the background of other people's stories. And then if you go back and read through history, what happened was the three phases in your life, you were the maid, the virgin, the young woman, then you were the mother, and then you were the crone or the hag. And that has traditionally been seen as a negative thing, but that's because men write history books. If you actually read the life of the crone, the hag or the witch, it's fucking brilliant. She lives in her crone house in the woods. She tends her garden. She makes her medicines. She usually brews her own wine or beer or mead and gets a bit drunk. She has her familiar animals that she loves that she hangs out with and follow her around everywhere. She goes out and communes with nature. She has these wild rituals in the woods where she's jumping in lakes and dancing around fires with her friends. And she has her gang of fellow crones that she hangs out with yeah. and they solve all of society's problems. And I was like... Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, that <laughs> let me join Crone Club. I want to be a hag. Like, that sounds uh, awesome. I want to reclaim. 10 years ago, I tried to reclaim the word feminist, and now I'm like, let's reclaim hag. I am yeah. 100% pro hag. I'm going to make me a t shirt with 100% pro hag on it. <laughs> I am so into it. And it just, for me, just unlocked. Yeah. And the reason we were laughing is I was away camping with my best girlfriends, and we went cold water swimming, and then we swam out to this pontoon, and like, just the state of us, and we could not have. Oh. Been happier. It's such a joy. I think again, because women have such a sort of difficult relationship with their bodies for so many reasons. But when you jump in cold water and swim, it gets you so high you don't care about. I I swim at the ladies' ponds in Hampstead, which is amazing. I was there one time, and there was this seventy-year-old woman who I think was clearly like a high court judge or something. She was very sort of possessed and incredible. She was wearing a huge floral sort of bathing cap and a swimming suit, and she was going down the ladder into the cold, cold water. It was so cold; it was March, and she sort of put the first leg into the water she went now I don't care about my children and then she went down the next rung and went and now I don't care about my job and then she fully immersed and came up and went and now I don't care about my fucking husband and then just <laughs> <laughs> that's the power of cold water you don't care about anything apart from yourself when you're in that water it's amazing I tried to explain to my husband and a couple of guy mates well we all did whilst cackling about the hag thing and why it resonated and they honestly didn't know what the hell we were on about but it's yeah it's it's such a kind of freeing thing not to give a shit it's such a relief to know that that's where you're going because like you know I mean you know, it is brilliant and wonderful that Jennifer Lopez and Beyonce looked so hot and sexy at 50 at the Super Bowl. That's great. It's, you know, but I'm all about increase the lexicon. So it's great that we now have the option to look as fit as Jennifer Lopez when she's 50. But I also need there to be an option where I can turn into a hag doing what I want and cackling and jumping into lakes. That's yeah. equally attractive and marketed to me to make me feel good about me. Like kind of, we need to have all these options. And I think it can be very onerous at the age of 30 for people to go, well, if you're still working out for six hours a day and not eating any carbohydrates, you could still look this good when you're 50. It's like, is there another option where mm. I could eat carbohydrates and not look like Jennifer Lopez, but be okay with that? Is that, yeah. could I have that now in the 21st century? And also that we're not in opposition to each other, you know? It's just like, do it how you want to do it so that it makes you feel good. Totally. If one of my friends wanted to be super fit and sexy at 60, I'd be so happy for them, but I just can't be asked. <laughs> 
<laughs> we return to the crisps. I feel like whatever you do next, you really need to write into the crisps thing quite a lot more. I think it's a good metaphor for life. Questions for you from my audience. Someone messaged to say, is 38 too late to change your life? No, God, no. No. Of course not, no. And like, and the fact that you're asking that question suggests to me that you know that it isn't because you're thinking about it. And if, you, yeah. if you're about it then that kind of means you're going to do it as soon as you start asking yourself questions you're going to start giving yourself answers and I can't see any reason why the answer to that would be no of course it's not too late I mean easy to say because I am actually 38 but 38 is is like just a fra- hopefully just a fraction of your life it's nothing at 38 a lot of women are having their first child and like that completely changes your life yeah so like if you can have that huge major life decision then you can have any major life decision go and live in another country start another job you know to completely transform who you are and where you go and what you do of course you can like if we can give birth to another human being we can certainly start wearing different shoes and change our job <laughs> and and if you're not masturbating just start there that's start an easy now. That's an easy it's, change. It's yeah, in in the in the white hot crucible of that sexy moment, maybe with your mouth full of crisps, maybe not. <laughs> you will know who you want to be in the future. I would say to that 38-year-old, do that thing where you're talking to yourself at 48. Go, 48-year-old me, where are mm. you? Do you like it? Is it nice? How do I get there? Like kind of, and hopefully 48-year-old you will be going, yeah, my life is brilliant now. Here are the things that I did. And you're like, right, now I know what I need to do. Because I think there is real power in that. We've touched on it. But when you are doing five things on the toilet and you are deeply in this role of, of trying to hold various lives together, you can become short-sighted because you're literally just trying to survive. You're just pedaling through each day. And to actually check in with 48-year-old self, 68-year-old self is really important to go, actually, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? What is life about? Totally. And there, w- and there will be years, like if you're going through a crisis, if you're really supporting someone who's troubled, like kind of like there will be years where you can't change your life. Mm. Like kind of you will have yeah. to put that on hold for a while. But the thing that's going to get you through that and make you of more use to everybody else and, and what will sustain you is making a promise to yourself that the minute you first get the chance to change your life, you will. And just to make that promise to yourself. And like, you know, all problems end in the end you know you just outlive your problems and then some more come along but the Mm. particular problems that you think are sticking you where you are now they will pass at some point so just make a promise to yourself that when they do you will have a list in your drawer that you can take out and go right okay I'm going to do these things I'm going to start today that's why that's why I wrote how to be a woman I, I, I had not ever realized how long a minute or an hour or a day was until I was breastfeeding a child 24 hours a day that was very colicky and would not let me put her down and I spent like five years breastfeeding two very colicky children and I was like right I promise to me the day that this youngest one starts school I will write a book because I know how much I could do in a minute and an hour and a day now because I've sat there thinking about it and I wrote my list and the first day she went to school I dropped her off did my cry came back took the list out and I was like bang let's go so to wind up towards the end, advice for your 13-year-old self about womanhood. Oh, if you are with people that make you feel uncomfortable, if you think I'm not clever enough to be with these people or I'm not beautiful enough to be with these people or whatever it is, it's not that you are not beautiful enough or clever enough or powerful enough. It's that you're with the wrong people. Like it will never work. Like you will know when you've met your people, when they feel, you feel as comfortable around them as you do when you're wearing your most comfortable t-shirt. Mm. Like kind of, it's it's not that you are failing. They're just simply the wrong people. Don't be mm. with them because they will make you do things that are not you. And you'll just continue feeling miserable until you find your people. You'll know you found the love of your life when he smells good. 
I think we often think it's down to like star sign compatibility or blah, 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 blah. It's not. You will sniff a man one day and you will feel so happy and relaxed. You will be like, you'll be huffing on him and getting high and you'll be like, this is the man I will spend my life with. You want to be relaxed. It's all about relaxation, basically. It's it's never that you're too much or not enough, which are the two things I hear women saying the most all the time. It's just that you're in the wrong place. Go somewhere else. So I'm going to ask you three more important questions. Number one, where can people find you? And is there anything you want to shout about? Well, I'm on, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, obviously, but mainly I live in my books. Like I was home educated and I went to the library every day and I quickly realized that books, if you think about the format of a book, when you open that lid, it's like opening a door. And if a book is good, it's like going into a different world. And if the writer is good, they will have put everything they know into that book so that when you've read it, it's like you've lived your life and you have your experiences, but you've also kind of lived the life and now have the experiences of the person whose book you've just read. And then if you read another useful book that has all of another person's experiences in it, it's like you've lived three lives. And so I'm very into useful books. I love a beautiful book, but I like a useful book. I want to get to the end of a book and be like, ah, I've got some Mm. new ideas. So I live in my books. I put everything I know into them and I try to be as truthful as possible so that I can start an awkward conversation on behalf of womankind. <laughs> I think that's excellent. And actually, it, it moves me nicely on to my next question. Is there such a thing as being too honest? And what do you think stands in the way of honest conversations? Uh, well, too honest would be, there's no point in saying something devastating to someone just for the sake of it. Like if you're going to tell, if you're going to blow someone's mind with a permanent megatruth, it's got to be on the presumption that you believe they can change and you're going to hang around mm. while they try and change. If you're just throwing truth bombs around at people you don't care about, first of all, why waste the truth on them? Like kind of, <laughs> Wow, yeah, that's no, big. No need to say it and be they're not ready and you're not going to hang around while they deal with that truth. So just leave it. Like you don't, you know, you only owe the people you love honesty, I feel. Mm. It's, it's a much more engaged process than you would think it is. So there is such a thing as being too honest. It's just being honest with people that you don't care about. Selective. Yes. Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? And I think that's where the internet's gone wild. If we're just throwing honesty around without... For me, being honest is because I want... Yeah, it's an investment in that person and I want them to be just as honest as me. So you can't just throw it out into the ether because that isn't the same kind of relationship. Well, yeah, you can't just hurt someone with the truth and then walk away. You know, are, are you trying to hurt someone or are you trying to educate them? Yeah. And the useful thing to do is to educate someone. There's no point in going around. If someone's saying something really horrible that you disagree with on the internet, if you just hurt them and then run away, they'll just get angrier, like kind of, and, and nothing will have changed. They're not going to listen to what you're saying. Whereas if you, you know, if you find a way to talk to someone that is, they're going to listen to you and change, then oh, good. You've made the world a better place. Yeah, just do that. Make the world a better place. Why not? And lastly, if you could have an honest conversation with one person, who would it be and what would you say? It would be with Mark Ruffalo and I would explain to him that he is my future husband and that I ideally want him halfway in the metamorphosis between being Banner and Hulk because I like him with a bit of extra weight on him but not fully green. So um, (laughs) that would be... <laughs> and I don't know I don't know how he'll take that, but I'm ready to have that conversation. <laughs> Will he be there carrying sheep around in the uh, Welsh mountains with you? Exactly. He's got half his superpowers and that's just the right amount. He can take the <laughs> lids off jars. I find it very difficult to get lids off jars these days. So my half Hulk, half banner uh, husband can take lids off jars and, and help me carry sheep up hills and that sounds perfect to me. <laughs> That is it, and I absolutely adored that conversation. Would I say that Catelyn was a hero of mine? I don't know, it's definitely someone I respect, and they often say, don't meet your heroes, but that definitely wasn't the case for me. 
In fact, it couldn't have felt more easy. It was a bit like talking to what I imagine having an older sister is like. It was reassuring, it was empowering. I felt understood in terms of the challenges of being a woman. I felt kind of fired up to better champion the role of anyone in domestic um, jobs and how underpaid or underappreciated those are. And that definitely isn't always women, I might add. Being that my husband is the primary childcare provider in our house. Um, but most of all, it was just it was just a, a great chat. It was amusing. I love talking about crisps. And yeah, as I started this episode, I think it's really amazing to hear from people who are shining a light on the next chapter of your life. We touched on it on the episode, but often we don't hear from women in their middle ages. Maybe because what they're doing might not appear glamorous, but as we well know, those roles are so important and something to be celebrated, as is the complexity of being a woman. I know that I'm not straightforward and linear, but that is a wonderful thing. And that's it. Thank you so much to Catelyn for being my guest. Thank you to you for listening. Please do rate, review and subscribe and tell your mates all about it. And join us next week for a new episode. Thank you very much.